Matthew chapter 24, 37 to 39. Let's launch with this passage. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, just the normal stuff of life, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Are we in the days of Noah? Are we in the last days? We certainly could be. And I think we should be prepared as such spiritually, mentally, emotionally, even physically. So as I'm preaching this series on stories of Genesis, we come to the Noah story today. And I'm going to recommend to you uh, a great little fiction book on Noah. I really enjoyed reading this. So it's very imaginative, not true, right? Fiction, but really brought it alive in many ways to me. The story of Noah by Ellen Gunderson trailer, just called Noah. Really enjoyable read. Now, what if God came to you and asked you to do something that you found mind boggling for him? Would you do it? Well, God came to a man named Noah and asked him to do such a thing. Build me an ark. And Hebrews eleven seven says, by faith, Noah built the ark. He was 600 years old when the flood began. So that says to me, man, you're never too old to be used by God. And that one person standing in the midst of a corrupt culture can stand true for God and be used by God in great ways. Noah's story actually begins in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned against God. Cain killed his brother Abel. A man in Genesis 4 named Lamech killed and boasted about it. At the first few verses of Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 4, it appears that fallen angels mated with human women producing the Nephilim or hybrids, perhaps an attempt to destroy a pure Masonic, Messianic line that the Savior would come through. What we do see here is evil is compounding in the world. And now we come to Genesis 6, 5 to 7. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was very sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. And jump down to 11 to 13. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become. For all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Really, it's hard to imagine a more bleak assessment of humanity than those verses right there. Only evil all the time. No, no one is even trying to do good. And seeing this breaks God's heart. 
He created human beings, gave them free will to use it, to love him and worship him and serve and love and help others. But they abused it. And so now God is determined in his heart to destroy humanity. But there's a ray of hope. He found one man who was acceptable in his sight. He would use him to start over again, populating the world. Noah is a role model for us. I want to share with you four things Noah did and four virtues that we can emulate, especially in these last days that we're living in. We need these virtues in ourselves to live in the society and the world that we live in. The first thing Noah did, Noah built the ark. Noah built the ark and the virtue is obedience. Noah, I want you to build me an ark. What's an ark? I want it to be 300 cubits long. That's what it says in the King James. What's a cubit? How would Noah explain this to his wife? What would all the neighbors think? We're introduced to Noah in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 6. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked with God. He found favor with God. That means to bend or stoop. God, the superior, bends down, stoops down to show favor on the lesser. That's what that phrase means. This whole society was wicked except for one man, Noah, which, again, I want to emphasize you can make a difference in your culture, in your environment, at your school, in your neighborhood, in your workplace for the Lord. If you will stand true for him, it's very hard, but not impossible. What kind of man was Noah? He was righteous. That word means just honorable. The ability to deal with God and man also conveys a sense of being able to stand in the presence of God. Noah was righteous, blameless. That's not sinless perfection. It means wholehearted commitment, integrity, the same alone as in a crowd. And he walked with God. There's only two men in the book of Genesis that are described this way, that they walked with God. Noah here and Enoch, whom walked with God in such an intimate way that he didn't die. God took him to heaven before he died. So just looking at those terms, righteous, blameless, walked with God. Would God say that about you or me? Noah obeyed God's command to build the ark. Let's read that in 6, 14 to 16. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. From those dimensions, it's probably hard to picture in your mind. This thing is big. How many have been to the ark exhibit in Kentucky? Anyone has been there? 
Several hands. Is that true? Am I, am I telling the truth? The ark is big. It's huge. I want to go there someday and see that. I wonder if the neighbors complained about their view being blocked. I wonder if the people that are always worried about zoning restrictions, if they showed up at Noah's house. Do you have a permit to build this? Yeah, from God. Do you think Noah got ridiculed? What are you doing? Are you some kind of a special nut job? Yet he obeyed. This boat was one and one half football fields long. It was the biggest boat ever constructed until the 1800s. It was the size of a modern day oil tanker, but its design was seaworthy. He had rooms in it to separate the animals, three decks, and it was sealed up, covered with pitch. And that word covered is the same word used other places in the Old Testament for atonement. In other words, this boat was for salvation and grace and mercy. It had a roof on top for protection and it had a door just one way in and out. I thought of Jesus. I am the door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. In 622, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Perfect obedience. Not perfection in everything you do. Perfect obedience to what God tells you to do. It's incredible. This boat wasn't sitting beside the Mediterranean Sea. It wasn't by a mighty river or a big lake. It was in the middle of nowhere on dry ground. And I presume it took him 120 years based on Genesis 6-3, though that's questionable. We don't know exactly how long it took, but it took a long time to build. And all that time, Noah was patient and obedient. So be obedient to whatever God tells you to do. It could be small. It could be humongous. Be obedient. That's the first virtue. Second thing Noah did is Noah entered the ark. Noah entered the ark and the virtue is trust. Someone said obedience is applied trust. So he acted on what he already believed was true. Seven one says the Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Just Noah and his family, just eight people of all the people on the earth at that time. 716 says the animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. That's trust. Allow God to shut you in. It was God himself who closed the door. Noah didn't close it from the inside. God closed it from the outside. You know what? We want freedom. We like options. God, if this plan of mine doesn't work out, here's that other door over there that I'll just go through. No, there was no other door. There was only one door and God shut him in. It says for seven days. Can you imagine how difficult those seven days were? I bet those were the seven longest days of Noah's life. They're in there and outside. Maybe all the neighbors had gathered. They were having a barbecue on a perfectly sunny day, ridiculing Noah and his family. And they're sitting in there wondering, did we really hear God right? Is this this really going to happen or are we just nuts? Keep trusting God 
in those situations, even when you don't understand. I know I've heard God's word or I know God's word tells me and I felt like God is saying for me to do this. Do it. Trust God. Then it started to rain. Now, there's three things I want to share with you that I believe in all my heart that the word teaches about the flood. The first thing was that it's real. It's not just the story that teaches uh, great spiritual truths. All the details of this story convinced me it was real. It really happened. Plus, Jesus himself said there was a Noah and he built an ark in the passage I read earlier. And do you know that there are about 60 flood stories from different places all around the world? Gilgamesh is the most famous of those stories from Mesopotamia. You can read about that. Of those 60 stories, someone has taken the time to compile them all and study them and say that 88 percent of those stories have one family. Seventy percent have a large boat. Ninety five percent of them that the whole world was affected. Sixty six percent of them due to human sin. Sixty seven percent of them had animals on board and 57 percent of those stories say that the ark or boat came to rest on the top of mountains. So this story is true. And Noah's descendants, wherever they scattered in the world and their descendants after them, would have told this story and thus it would have spread around the whole earth. People scoffed at this story in Noah's day, just like they scoff now. But it's still true. Here's the second thing I believe about this story, that the flood was universal. The flood was universal. Some people say, no, it was a localized flood. I don't believe that. When it says that the tops of mountains were covered, they have found marine life fossils on the top of Mount Everest and on the top of many other mountains in the strata. How in the world would fish bones be on top of a mountain, right? It uses the word every and all a lot in the Noah account. So where did all the water come from? It came from above and below. 7, 11 through 12 says in the 600th year of Noah's life on the 17th day of the second month. On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth. And the floodgates of the heavens were opened and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. I picture in my mind's eye a canopy, a cloud canopy over the earth. And that day that that burst forth and all that moisture came down. It rained 40 days and 40 nights and all the springs under the ground burst open and all the rain and underground rivers under the ground burst forth onto the earth and flooded the earth. In fact, the major topological topography changes, including the Grand Canyon, were caused by this universal flood. The third thing would be the animals. How did all those animals fit on this boat? It's impossible. Well, understand this, that the ark had a capacity, the same capacity of 522 railroad cars. It was 1.6 million cubic feet of space in the ark. Now, scientists estimate that there were about 19,000 species of birds and reptiles then and about 50,000 vertebrae animals. 
So let's just double the vertebrate animals and say there are 100,000 of them and 19,000 birds and reptiles. There would still be enough room. Someone has estimated and calculated that you could fit 125,280 sheep on the ark. Now, a lot of animals that would have come into the ark would be smaller than a sheep. Some would be larger. Perhaps the larger animals were babies. The point is they could all fit. How did they get there? Well, God brought them there. Now, I know that's hard for our minds to imagine animals walking to a place from all over the earth. But it's not hard for God. And once on board the ship, many of them would have hibernated during that time. So I say to you, believe God's word and trust him. Third thing Noah did. Noah on the ark. Noah on the ark. And the virtue is faithfulness. So how long was Noah on the ark? Well, he was on the ark 40 days. No, that's how long it rained for 40 days. Then the waters rose another 150 days. Then the waters had to recede and the total amount of days Noah and his family were on the ark was 375 days on the ark. That's over a year. That's faithfulness. I would be wondering, how long can I take this? How long is this going to last? Can you imagine the noise? The smells? All the work to feed all these animals and clean up after them? Yeah, I hope Noah and his family weren't allergic to animals. It's your turn to clean up after the elephants. Man, faithfulness is not being on a cruise ship. Faithfulness is being on this boat with all those animals for over a year, going through the worst storm you've ever gone through. That's scary. Wondering, where is this boat going to float to? Where are we going to wind up? Is it going to be near our home and what we're used to? Noah remained faithful with all that uncertainty. And I know it's hard to remain faithful as a Christian in the culture that we live in. All around us, the peer pressure, wanting us to do different things. Hard to remain faithful in your Christian walk, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your ministry. But do it. Be faithful. Because 8.1 says, but God remembered Noah. And all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. God remembered Noah. God remembers you. He sees your situation. How you're being so faithful to him, even though it's tough. The dry ground began to appear. Noah sent birds out. Remember, they came back and then eventually they did not come back. And the ark, it said, came to rest in the mountains of Ararat, which is in eastern Turkey, on the border with Turkey, and I think Syria or Iran, not sure. 17,000 feet are the heights of those mountains. And some have reported that when the ice and snow melts back at certain seasons over hundreds of years, that there is a shape that looks like a giant boat on the top of one of those mountains. Fourthly, Noah off the ark. We got to get him off this boat. And the virtue is worship. What would be the first thing you would do when you got off the boat? I thought of four things that I would do. The first thing, I would walk off the boat and kiss the dry ground. 
The second thing I would do is say, I'm going for a long walk. You all are going to be okay here without me. The third thing I would do is take a shower. And the fourth thing, order a cheeseburger. Okay? Let's see what Noah's first thing he did when he got off the ark. 820. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Noah built an altar. He had a heart for God. He loved to worship. He walked with God. Noah built an ark and Noah built an altar. And whenever you're in a new situation, build an altar. Worship God there in that new job, that new situation, that new baby, that new problem. Worship God. Let that be the first thing you do on the first day of the week. Get up on Sunday morning. I'm going to go worship God together with other believers. The first act of each new day as your feet hit the floor. God, I worship you today. This is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm giving you thanks and praise today. And look how God responds to that worshipful heart. He makes a rainbow. Rainbows belong to God. Anybody else who has the rainbows hijacked it? The rainbow is God's. And through it, God makes a promise. Let's read 9, 12 to 16. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. This is very important. When do we see rainbows? With rain, right? There's usually, it's still raining oftentimes, and then the sun comes out and you see a rainbow. Imagine the first time it rained really hard for Noah and his family after getting off that ark. They could be terrified that God was angry with something they did and was going to destroy the earth again. So they were given the rainbow as a reminder that God would not destroy the world with a universal flood again. And so the next time you see a rainbow, praise God, thank God, worship him for his unbelievable mercy toward us sinners. One more incident in the Noah story found in 920 to 21. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Now, the Bible is really honest about its heroes, unlike other religious works. Heroes fail, too. Saints aren't perfect. They mess up. They make mistakes. But we see that God uses flawed people for his purposes. He knew that Noah was a good man. Noah was obedient. He trusted God when he couldn't understand. 
He was faithful when the trial seemed to go on forever. And he was a worshiper of God. These are virtues that we need in our lives in the days in which we live in, perhaps the last days. But there's a larger motif I want you to see in the Noah story that's there, that Noah serves as a type of. God also built an ark with wood. It's called the cross. And the dove that Noah sent out that didn't return back landed on Jesus. Because there's only one man who is truly righteous enough, truly obedient enough to die for the sins of the world. And that is Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our lifeboat in the storms of life. And there's only eternal destruction outside of relationship with him. So it's been nearly 2000 years since Jesus warned his disciples that in the last days, it's going to be like it was in Noah's. And many prophets are speaking up. I'm hearing some of them warning about the days in which we live in. Is anyone watching? Is anyone listening? Is anyone praying? Is anyone ready? Are you ready? Are your eyes open? Judgment, God's judgment will come one day. But I believe before it comes will come a time of the outpouring of the spirit of God on the earth again. That's what I'm praying for. I want to see a worldwide revival. And that's what I want to be a part of. And that day of grace is still available. His day of mercy, the door of mercy and grace is still open for you today. If you here today have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, as you close your eyes and bow your head, I want to give you that opportunity here while I'm speaking that if you're ready to make that commitment to Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, that you would raise your hand. Is there anyone here today that would say, I don't know if I know the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and I want to. I want to go on board that ark of safety, which is Jesus Christ. Does anyone need to make that commitment today? Just give you another moment for that opportunity. Well, Lord, we are trusting and believing in you. We have put our faith and trust in Jesus, our Savior. He is our ark. We've entered the ark. Lord, you've shut the door. We're trusting you that no matter what storms that we will face in this life, be they just the normal garden variety or apocalyptic end time trials and tribulations, we are in you. We are safe in you, Lord. Our eyes are on you. Keep us close, Lord Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.